welcome to The Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chess Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Woodbeck. Well, welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. It's just the crew today. I want to introduce their names because they've each got interesting names, minus me and T-Dub. Of course, I'm Mark Crisco and Tom White, but Sarah Ann is called Deliver Donkey Kicks to the Face today. Zach Livin of A Prayer Bauman, and then there's Carl Hansen. Whoa. I think Zach made a mistake with his name, but Sarah was a little spicy. We got a, we're got we got a new segment we're adding to each of our Fracture Lines. It's going to be a, a clinical section um, with each of our podcasts because, you know, we wanted to make this a little bit more clinical just, just to spice it up a little bit. Uh, and then the rest of the Fracture Line will remain the same. Some news and, of course, the final stitch and, and the hopefully the uh, occasional or always guest. So um, I had some clinical topics that I want to talk about. Sarah Ann, you said you had one. What did you want to talk about clinically? Okay, you go first. I, I wanted to uh, highlight a case that's on Slack because it's still just shocking me and it made me like just second guess myself and, and everything that I knew. I think most of us have seen this case on, it's from uh, Tommy Giddens out in the Wild West, which he had an 85-year-old female who fell over actually while sewing and hit her chest in the corner of a table. And pretty much imploded the sixth or seventh rib into her chest, complete flail segment, and it's sticking into the lower lobe of her lung. And long and the short of it, he had a team there that said that they were going to manage this completely non-operatively and the patient was going to do well. Now, I mean, he posted on Slack. I think a lot of people, um, of course, said, you know, fix it, kind of a no-brainer. But what are we missing? And, you know, why are people still saying that that is a non-operative case? I mean, I I have to know what your thoughts are on this, Zach, Tom, Carl, Sarah. Yeah, it seemed pretty clear to me. I mean, there's this one rib is segmentally fractured and it's impaling the the posterior lung and it's, it's embedded in the lung several centimeters at least with some hemorrhage around it. It's a very unstable looking chest, and apparently the recommendation from the CT surgery team was that this is a non-operative injury. This will get better eventually on its own, and she's too sick to operate on or too frail, and she wouldn't do well and might die and may not ever get off the ventilator. Without, obviously, the benefit of examining the patient and just having the radiographs to look at, I... I would, I obviously most of us have challenged that that assessment or that assumption. Leaving shards of rib in in the parenchyma of the lung just seems to be to be folly. But I'll have to admit that I can't remember managing a case non-operatively with this injury, uh, so I don't really know. To be honest, I don't know the natural history. It sounds. I mean, I think I can predict what will eventually happen. She'll develop chronic infection, and she may develop bronchopleural fistula or other issues. But but do, does anyone really know? That's the first thing I did today. I looked. I tried to find a case in the literature of a non-operative management of an intrathoracic shard of lung, like that, that's you know significant. I couldn't find it, so that's a, a good challenge for the listeners. Is it? I mean, there is some literature about bronchopleural fistulas from remaining pieces of bullet. 
You know, so I mean, this is quote unquote a foreign body inside somebody's lung parenchyma, which is not where it's supposed to be. So I mean, I think that <clears throat> Tom, you're spot on that. That's going to be the eventual case. I think that there's still kind of this, in my opinion, there's still this big like idea that these really frail patients we probably should avoid operating on for rib fractures. And I, you know, I'll be, you know, quite honest. I've really taken a complete 180 on that viewpoint. I think the more frail ones are the ones that really get the most benefit from rib fixation. I think that we've come such a long ways with anesthesia in this day and age that it is, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that's hundred percent, but it is just so rare to have an issue during anesthesia, you know, during the anesthetic and surgery that I just think that these patients, you know, they, they do pretty well during the operation. Yeah. There's, you know, you can always have, a, you know, some complications post up. I'm not trying to deny that, but I think that these frail patients really just, they do so much better, you know, from uh, fixing those ribs, especially when they're that severely broken. Well, that's certainly been our, our clinical experience because all of us would fix somebody like this and have fixed people like this and they tend to do very well. Let's talk a little bit about this notion of someone may never get off the ventilator if they go to the operating room. You know, if she's breathing spontaneously with this injury and she goes to the OR and has an anesthetic and a fairly straightforward SSRF, what is it that you're doing to them that makes them then unlikely to be liberated from the ventilator? I don't understand that logic. I mean, I know there are people out there with with profound COPD who are just hanging on the edge and you know, they tend not to do well when intubated, but this lady was sewing and she fell into her cabinet. So this idea that, oh, we'll, we'll inflict an operation on you and you'll never get off yeah. the ventilator. That's just so. Yeah. That was a difficult concept for me to understand there too, because what are you going to do other than help? Her physiology is going to be better. I just, I don't know how we have, no, how we still need to come further for groups of people. I guess we just need to push for another decade. <laughs> well, it's a little disappointing because this patient is in my healthcare system, a satellite hospital, arguably. Um, and, and Githens has been doing fantastic rib fracture surgery there for now for a couple of years. And for the CT surgeons not to understand that that, that is an option for them is really a, it's a breakdown. It's a, it's a, it's a failure. It's not Tommy's failure, but I'm just saying we we all fail these patients because we haven't we haven't been able to spread the message. I'm I'm motivated to go back to my. I'm not sure how to attack this actually, but that hospital is in my healthcare system, and we should we should. I'm I, I feel obligated to try to do something about this lack of education. I feel the same way, you know, in my region too. Just it's not uh, it's not somebody's fault. It's a lack of education, and it's and I take it on myself. I'm missing the opportunity to spread what I really know is going to help an independently functioning 85-year-old woman. I would say there's a good chance if you fixed her, she would go home. She might not even go to a sniff. Right. I wonder if there's an interesting research project there for us to consider, though. If everybody tracked for three months, right? If, if anyone that wanted to enroll, track the number of cases you have and the types of cases that you find out about you know, or maybe it's six months, I don't know. But the number of cases that you see or hear about where you feel like within your within your facility or, you know, in your parameter that says, yeah, I would have fixed that, you know, or I think that should have been fixed, right? And it'd be interesting. And see what happens to it. that you bring that up, we might be presenting a little 
a little tidbit at the uh, summit. I know you did it on your basis, but I also wonder, like, in this kind of situation, like, this is someone totally outside of the CWIS realm, right? You know, like, it's not just a... Hey, well, not really. Well, no, but I mean, this CT surgeon who doesn't know us, right? So it's someone who clearly has never seen our algorithm or, you know, anything like that. And I wonder how many times... Someone who knows something about SSRF and, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily blame this person. Maybe the truly doesn't know, you know, I, it may not be like a volitional, like, no, this doesn't need to be done, you know, but it's more of just a, I don't know the circumstances. You know, exactly. Like, but I wonder, you know, if there's a way. The other we point is the patient's that. on a trauma service. Tommy's an orthopedist. This patient's on the trauma service and somehow both services, CT and Tommy got consulted. And their their consultations differed, and the, and by the time that Tommy got to the patient, the patient was scared to death that she was going to die from an operation. But that was part of the issue: is that there was multiple consultants, and we all know that that can be problematic sometimes. Remind me, Dr. Bowman, this is similar to your presentation, but different because they were all within your group, correct? Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, I mean, you know, obviously, healthcare systems across the country are different. You know, in terms of who's seeing these patients, you know, managing the patients, you know, I'd say the majority of them are trauma surgeons, but you know, I think at where this surgeon's at, you know, he, he's obviously an orthopedic surgeon, so he's not seeing that patient up front. And so, um, you know, he's being, he's being consulted on the back end, <clears throat> but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting concept. It kind of baffles me. I, I will be honest with you. It baffles me a little bit because, you know, I don't know if like we have a little bit of a luxury here in Nebraska, but I actually have my, my thoracic and cardiothoracic surgeons will send us patients that like, if they do, for instance, a bilateral lung transplant, they do a, uh, you know, a clamshell versus a sternal yep. um, incision and it fails. They'll send them to us to reconstruct their sternum. They, like, right. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of, di- I don't know. It's just different all over the country. And it just surprises me sometimes. I think the point there is it's not a lost cause. It is possible to have partnerships with CT surgeons and let them um, uh, pass the ownership of fracture surgery to us and still do their cardiac work and still be still drive their Maseratis and still be the, you know, be the egotists, still still be the egotists in the hospital. They can do all that, but they should defer rib fracture management to the rib fracture experts just because they did a CT fellowship. And they open some chests and they operate on ribs now and then doesn't mean they're rib fracture experts. Isn't that the point? Well, I think the point is any discipline can be a rib fracture expert, like within our society, right? We preach this all the time. There's thoracic trauma and ortho. Any of those surgical types can be, you know, surgeon specialties can be terrific rib surgeons. They just have to, you know, care and learn and try and and continue to hone the practice. So I, I think your point is well taken that just because you have done a particular type of surgery in that region of the body doesn't mean that you are an expert. Yeah. I think it's yeah. more about what you do with it. Amen. True words have never been said. <laughs> <laughs> Except for John Bon Jovi when he wrote the song, Living on a Prayer. <laughs> you got this. Living on a Prayer. <laughs> I love it. All right. Easy now. Easy. I really enjoy this new notion of let's add some clinical stuff to the podcast. I think it's it, well, it's fun. Yeah. And maybe it's educational too. We'll see. Do we want at this point to encourage our listeners to send us emails with 
questions, with cases, with suggestions for topics or whatever, we, we, we're going to reach into that grab bag when it starts to yeah. fill up and pull stuff Please out. Do. And put it on the pod, right? You bet. And if it's yeah. compelling, maybe we'll have the actual like person on the pod. Yeah. Ooh. Sarah Ann, what was your clinical question of interest or uh, scenario? Okay. So mine, um, we receive patient referrals, you know, regularly. I'm not going to say daily, but at least two or three times a week, we get patients that submit things, you know, um, questions or that I defer to other people or that, you know, so-and-so, my my so-and-so has this and that. And, you know, do you know anyone in this area? Blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I had two, one on Saturday with a nice gal that I had a chance to chat with. Her sister ended up not wanting a referral. So let me find this one quickly so I can read it to you. It was fascinating to me. And then another one that I am referring to some members. So this process, for those who don't know, it is posted on our website. People can submit questions or, you know, if they're looking for a specialist in their area or their region, that kind of thing, then I uh, read back to them. So this particular person wrote, good morning. This was early Saturday morning. And she said, my sister has an injured chest wall and it is putting pressure on her heart and lungs. She was born with pectus excavatum and has already had surgery to put bars in to correct the issue. However, it was unsuccessful and she painfully had to have the bars taken back out. She is in need of a recovery surgery and is on a medication to regulate her heart rate. Um, currently, however, said facility where we have members, which accepted her case, um, has now rejected her insurance and has rejected her as a charity case, even though she really should have qualified and then went on about why she should be a charity case and other you know, social, social factors in her world. So she said, I'm not sure if this organization could help or guide us, but I'm reaching out to find, you know, find answers. Please let me know. So it was interesting, unique situation that I ended up having the chance to chat with her on Saturday and then her sister the next day. And she ended up deciding she was going to stay where she was at and look for some additional, because she really liked her care team and just look for some, some additional resources there um, or within to support her care. But I thought that one was, was an interesting situation they they come in all types you guys i will say i usually get patient referrals like in the middle of the night slash early morning i think it's when people are usually at their most like painful moment they don't have someone to talk to they're googling things you know and then they they end up popping into to our inbox so that's usually when when things like that happen so this next one came in yesterday yeah yesterday and Um, One of the questions on the form is, what was the cause of your injury? This person said long thoracic nerve palsy um, and date of injury or when you noticed the pain, 2015. Then the next question that we ask is, have you been seen by a medical professional and or treated in in hospital for this problem? If yes, please describe. So this person says multiple broken rib surgeries post pectoral transfer and then lists the location um, and said the surgery was in 2018 and scapular fusion and lists who did that. Um, Three plates removed on May 15th, 2023, and still dealing with tremendous thoracic pain. So, and this person uploaded a variety of photos for me. So I'm gonna show you guys some of these. You can describe them for our listeners. Holy, (laughs) holy ball sack. I mean, holy crap. (laughs) 
<laughs> what is going on with that stir oh, that, that scapula there? Woo! I don't know how scapular fusion worked works, but apparently that's how it works. For the for the viewer or for the listener, not the viewer, the listener, the right scapula looks like it's spider webbing to the ribs is crazy it's attached via multiple ribs it doesn't look like it's something that could is that all just like some ho that just grew to the chest wall probably it looks like it yeah it could, um... it's a scapula with multiple holes in it and what looks like a bunch of heterotopic ossification fused to the chest wall interesting case i'm saying it needs a, a table saw and um, a mechanic or a I did this case this week where I'm using the uh, the burr, like, you know, a large burr that the neurosurgeons use. And I love that thing. You just step on the pedal oh, yeah. and you just burr the bones thing. down exactly how you want them to be. And yeah, it was a non-union case. And it was- Yeah, it's perfect, great for non-unions. You know, I'm just thinking maybe just burr the whole scapula right off the chest wall. <laughs> I don't know. What's it going to do then? It's going to heal right back down on there again. Sarah, can this person even move their right arm, the right shoulder? I honestly, I'm not sure. The scapula is super interesting. I'd like Peter Cole to take a look at that film and tell us what he thinks about that. Peter, call in. Right. Well, you can describe it for the listeners. It kind of looks like someone has melty cheese and it's just kind of melting down yes. onto the yeah. ribs. Like that's what I think it looks right. like. Right. That's, a, that's pretty uh, intense. I think what's interesting about this case is it's it's bizarre and there may be a remedy may, maybe not but it's just this uh, this process that or this idea that people are contacting you nearly weekly with some clinical issue they need help with and um tell us how you sarah and how do you deal with those what do you what's your what's your algorithm for getting these people help so um we do a couple different things actually <clears throat> so it kind of depends on what they're what they're specifically looking for. Some of them just want to know where to find resources online. And so then I point them to the portal or, you know, they're saying they haven't heard of anyone. Do we know of someone, you know, and some of them want a direct connection to a surgeon, you know, specifically in their area. So I do provide them with a list. So for example, I had a patient recent, oh, it was last week. There was a patient that was kind of in the middle of North Carolina, maybe about two hours from Charlotte, but two hours from Raleigh, like, you know, I mean, sort of um, kind of in the middle as the crow flies. And so pulling a regional list and trying to decide, okay, of our members that are in this general area, you know, let's, let's send them these options um, or send them all options. And I, I pull out of the database, everybody that's within that general vicinity and then, I mean, all of our, I should say all of our surgeons, I, I must admit, I do omit our, you know, I mean, although we love all of our members, um, I do omit our, our non-surgical members, since I know that's, that may not be the gateway that they, they necessarily need um, to solve their problems. <clears throat> anyway, and so um, then provide them with that list so that then they can go to their insurance and resolve you know, whatever issues they, they have to start, you know, seeking, seeking additional care. I think where I run into some challenges, so I had a guy who was in, um, oh gosh, he was in Buffalo and wanted a very specific type of repair. And so he said, anything within five hours drive, I'll do I'm like, well, five hours of Buffalo, you know, five hours from Buffalo is kind of long, you know, that's a big catchment. So trying to figure out like pulling, 
okay, all these states, and then looking at the overall list and saying like, well, you could be in Cleveland, but if I pull just the whole state of Ohio, you're also going to get Columbus, and then you're going to be way further than five hours, you know? And so then trying to go through and actually parse out like what fits within their geographic parameters and sending them those details. So it takes a little bit of, you know, kind of parsing out what they're willing to do. Some patients will say, oh, I only want something West Coast or I'm willing to travel anywhere, you know, and trying to then get them a list. I mean, I think the hardest ones really are when they say, I'll go anywhere. I'm like, okay, well, we have 300 surgeons in, in the United States. So it's not going to do you a lot of good for me to send this big list that you don't know what to do with, you know, or you, it doesn't really, you know, it, it, there's not specific enough for you to help. I do, um, I get at least one to two slip rib patients a week. Um, and they want to know who specializes in slipped rib, you know, <laughs> and there are some people I know, of course, that, that have published and do research and, and present for us regularly that, that definitely do, um, have a passion for it, but that doesn't mean I know everybody, you know? And so I think that's one of the reasons why it's important to one, stay in touch, but two, kind of keep your, your CWIS profile up to date. There's a place where you can fill in your clinical, clinical interests and things, and people that do that, I can, I can spark, you know, parse through that data and then say like, okay, this person has said they do these types of cases or they have this kind of thing, you know, and then be able to, to feed them those directions. Cause otherwise it's just kind of a, you know, geographic thing and, or who I know that does that sort of work. It is fascinating. Well, it's, it's yeoman's work and you've been doing it for several years and we all appreciate it. Oh, thank and, and you. The patients it's, appreciate it. I know that. It's good work. I mean, it's it's very important, I think, to these patients that they're not, I can't tell you how many of them when I call them, how frequently they'll say, I'm not crazy, you know, or you may think I'm crazy, but, you know, and, and I, I just kind of chuckle, like not to, but to reassure them, I'm like, you don't understand. I hear that on every call. I don't think anybody's crazy. You know, I, I believe your pain is real. I'm, I'm certain it is. I can't do anything to solve it for you. And I'm not a clinician, so I can't give you answers, but I can help you find someone who, who may be able to do those things, you know? And so they'll start asking me clinical questions. I'm like, time out. I have nothing to give you in this regard. Like I have exactly zero knowledge and skill, but I know a lot of really smart people. So that's nice. It, it is it is amazing how much I do hear, you know, people say, I found your website. I didn't even know this was like a real thing. Like, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I do see a ton of those patients. It is so you know? true. All right, guys, that was fun. I'm into this section. Let's go to the news, Sarah. What do, what do we have? Any updates for the society? You know, we are a little bit sparse for the rest of the month. I think we... we um, we ended up getting a little bit behind the eight ball because we had a couple things we were going to do. And then I think the people that were potentially going to do said things like ribbon, our journal club ended up being a little bit busy with their last minute prep for East. And so unfortunately a couple of the things we were hoping to, to do in January ended up being a little bit quieter. So, you know what, I think this, is, this is good. It, uh, it means people can spend their January, maybe doing their resolutions, um, 
And then by February, when you've given up on your resolution, that'll be fine because we'll be back. We'll be regular, you know, regular journal club. Was there a case review this month? No, we have case review the last week of the month. So that is still yet to come. And we have three fabulous cases. So we have a patient coming from the Berkshire Medical Center. We have um, Dr. Chris Janowak is presenting a patient. And then we have a patient from the Stanford crew. So. We have good things to come at, at Case Review. So that is actually January 24th. It's at four o'clock mountain time. So you have a couple weeks before, two weeks precisely from today before uh, before we have some, some CUS education and before Dr. Hansen needs to bail Dr. Crisco out on having Case Review ready. So All right, friends, let's move on to the final stitch. Who's got something on their mind? Go for it. This is a problem. And when it comes up, I want you to all remind me that I said, and I'm saying it on the podcast so that it is in you know, is archived. I do not need a new car to be certain. I do not need a new car. Right. But I want a new car very much. (laughs) There are all these people around me who have new cars and they all have cool new tech. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, I need a new car. But do you know what I don't need a new car? Like I'm going to put this in perspective for you. My car is nine years old. It has, it just barely this weekend, I hit 63,000 miles. Oh my. I know, right? I work from home. My, you know, family all lives within a few miles of me. The gym is a few miles away. Like my, my, the, my favorite Canyon is three miles from here. Like I do not need a new car. I literally drive an average of 7,000 miles a year, but Guess who's having major new car envy? And it is taking everything in me to not be like, oh, maybe I should go test drive new cars today. You know, no, no, people, car is perfectly fine. Runs fine, has almost no miles on it. But you know what I really want is a new freaking car. I'm going to be an enabler here. (laughs) Well, that's why you have like 79 pairs of shoes. only live once. YOLO, YOLO, (laughs) let's do this. All right, listeners, here's the challenge, listeners. I want you all to text Sarah Ann a cool new car and tell her to buy that, okay? Inundate Sarah Ann. Oh, my gosh. You guys, the pressure is on. Like, Yeah, I got my wife a new car I got a new car this year. Love it. Well, that's because you got in, like, four accidents last year. Zach, the the world is a dangerous Only like it. A couple. No. All right. So Sarah's getting a new car. Who's next? Well, I got a little confession to make to all the listeners. A little guilty pleasure of mine. Uh-oh. Um, I really like to bowl. I really like bowling. Uh, I went bowling twice in two days. Uh, it was my daughter's birthday this past Monday, and she wanted to go bowling on Sunday. And so we went bowling, and I really had a good time bowling. And then... She said, like, there was no school on Monday because of the snow. And she's like, what should we do? I'm like, hey, let's go bowling. So we went bowling a second day in a row. God, I really like bowling. I kind of want to get a bowling league going, but I, oh, man, I like, I just, you, I like to You just, you just want some bowling shoes because they're pretty cool. I just had a really fun time bowling. And like, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I scored, I got like a 183. I thought it was pretty good. That's pretty, pretty good. good. You know, I mean, it's not 300, <laughs> but yeah. we're halfway there. <laughs> There's so many good bowling movies. Kingpin, The Big Lebowski. I mean, like people make good movies based off good sports and, and bowling is, I mean, it doesn't get enough credit where credit is due. I think that we need to give more credit to bowling. I really do. 
How about see with bowling shirts? With our, we get our name, get a name monogrammed on them. They got yeah. that logo on the back. Yes, yeah. Sell those at the summit. I'd buy one yeah, of those. I'd buy, I'd buy five of them, one for each day of the week. <laughs> yeah, There's nothing about that that surprises me. <laughs> to match your underwear, yeah, that'd be cool. All right, just a little, just a little guilty pleasure. Sorry. You know what? My final stitch is about Carl because I've been, I've been working a lot in the last month with Carl, and he's doing an outstanding job, and he cares about patients. And he works tirelessly. So, uh, Carl, you're doing a good job. And you're probably not told enough that you are doing a good job. But way to go, buddy. Way to go, Carl. Good job, Carl. Way to go, Dr. Hansen. We're cheering for you. Yeah, so I'll go next. Every once in a while, I, I talk about what it's like to kind of take another step forward. Do something new sort of step outside the boundaries of comfort, right? So today was one of those types of days. I came in not expecting to go to the OR at all, and I went straight into the OR. We fixed uh, uh, an incisional hernia in someone's chest, had uh, had sort of been herniating lung out anytime this guy decided to cough or hold his breath. So we fixed that. That was very satisfying. And then followed it up with something simple like a fistulogram, right? Uh, arteries scare me, or at least they used to, right? <laughs> the most simple arterial operation can have a patient bleeding out by the end, right? Like that that's, should not be my day-to-day <laughs> life. But today it was, and it went really well. It, yeah, conquered a little bit of something that a while, a year and a half ago, Carl would not have been very comfortable doing. And that's okay. It's all right. It's a simple thing. It's a diagnostic exam. I mean, I shoved a big old catheter into a pretty uh, rough and tough uh, AV fistula, and that did not chop someone's arm off at the end. So that was good. Congratulations. Thank you. Simple, simple. I know it's simple. If I was doing that fistula, Dr. Chris goes like, well, that was a useless day. <laughs> you got to ligate that fistula and then take the wrist off. <laughs> His arms got this limbs gotta go. Sorry. Fish <laughs> are not working anymore. It's gotta go. <laughs> T-Dub, anything on your mind, brother? Yeah, you know, I'm a little sad tonight. My uh Christmas vacation's coming to an end. My college age boys are going back to college and I've just it's just been a just absolute pleasure to have them around. And I hope I, I wish that and you guys are all too young to know what that feels like to have grown kids who enjoy coming back and you enjoy spending time with them. And it's a blessing. And I, and I, I hope to, I hope it's bestowed upon you someday. Cheers to that, Tom. I hope the well, same. Well, hopefully they travel safely. If my kids don't want to come home, uh, I've done something wrong. So you did something right, T-Dub. All right, guys. Well, I hope you all have a Thanks, good night. Man. We'll catch you next week. It's good to see you. Good to see you all. 